Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to this uh, very early morning edition of Fantasy NBA Today, simulcast on all podcast channels and YouTube. I'm your host, Dan Vespris, at Dan Vespris on Twitter, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. I know this is the time of year where new viewers and new listeners find the show, so it's a time where I need to be a little bit more diligent in making sure that you guys know where to find me when we are not on air, because especially once the season gets going, but even uh, certainly enough now preseason, we do an awful lot on social media. Just ask anybody that's been following me for years. The tweet storms that I think I invented like five years ago that have been uh, many times imitated but never fully duplicated. We've got streaming guides. We've got um, burger boards. we got the burger boards. I feel like there's a stain on this shirt, which is going to be very upsetting because it's like a brand new shirt. But anyway, it is what it is. Um, this is the, the unfortunate magic of me now seeing myself on camera as I talk to you guys. But anyway, good morning. Welcome to the show. Uh, my voice is a little beat up. We went to a friend's 40th birthday party yesterday, and uh, so I got a little party girl going on right now. It was like the loudest room that I've been in since COVID happened. Uh, today, we are going to be kind of rewinding a little bit on the show because over the last three or four weeks, we've gone through one by one. Basically, the top 30 on Yahoo, breaking down how they ended up where they are, whether their ADP makes sense. But what we haven't done during that stretch is actually go back and physically present to you all where I stand on most of the names that you guys are seeing on draft boards. There's been a lot of hemming and hawing. There's been a lot of, here's the case for, here's the case against. There was a lot of... Uh, would I actually draft a particular player at a slot? Some of them was yes, some of them was no. But there wasn't an actual ordering that I gave. And so today we're going to go back and we're actually going to kind of put these guys in a Bespris order for the first round with a few caveats, I should mention. There are a few caveats to that because some of these guys make more sense in head-to-head versus Roto. And so we'll kind of accommodate that little bit. First things first, though, I got to remind you guys that the Fantasy Pass is on sale at SportsEthos.com right now. Today is the day. The draft guide is dropping at some point today on Tuesday, September the 5th. When that happens, the price of everything goes up. So you are literally now in your last couple of hours of being able to get the Fantasy Pass, uh, NBA Fantasy Pass, or All Sport Fantasy Pass on its sale price. That, again, is at sportsethos.com, so I hope you guys will go check that out and join the hundreds of folks every year that end up with a Fantasy Pass and, more importantly, end up with the Brewski 150. That's coming up, of course, in about uh, a month or so, maybe a tiny bit less for folks on Ethos 360. But let's go ahead and just start at the top. At this point, we might as well start at the top. Uh, The first name on the board is Nikola Jokic. We did a show on whether or not it's time for Jokic to... Uh, abdicate his throne as the number one pick in fantasy basketball. And there are certainly points to be made uh, on the maybe we go Joel Embiid and hope that he actually logs an entire season's worth of games. But at the end of the day, even if Embiid does end up beating Jokic on a per-game basis, there is a safety built into Nikola Jokic in that you you know he's not 
the type of player that goes down for an extended stretch. Those types of injuries don't really happen with him. I'm sure that at some point it will, but he stays grounded. His body is built for this kind of haul, just a little bit plush at times, and so it allows him to take a little bit of extra contact. Obviously, at the end of every ball game, he's got all these red slap marks and scratches on him, but by the time the next game comes around, he's totally fine. I personally believe that this is going to be the slowest Nikola Jokic season that we've had in about the last three or four years because they did just win the title. And I know that there's this whole, like, Jokic built different thing, and it's probably true to some degree that he just recovers and the energy expenditure is different with him. Uh, But I do think that even those extra two, three games, four games, whatever it is, over the other guys that have a top three per game potential... That's enough to make sure that Jokic keeps the number one slot by totals. And the floor is so much higher than if you were thinking about going the Joel Embiid route at number one. Because there is a very reasonable shot, certainly a higher percentage chance, that Embiid only gives you like 55 games than Jokic only giving you 55 games. Because that's what you want to avoid if you have the first overall pick, is uh, detonating your team right out of the chute. So Jokic is number one, both in ADP and on my personal draft board. I, I, again, I can make some pretty good cases why maybe it won't be the case, or maybe he doesn't end up as the per game number one, but ultimately he is the number one guy and he does belong there. But the questions begin on the draft board at pick number two. The ADP choice right now is Joel Embiid. For me personally, it is also Joel Embiid. I desperately don't want to have the second pick in my drafts because I don't want to be presented with this choice. Because in my heart and in my brain, I know both places that Embiid is the right pick at number two. But I don't think any of us feel comfortable going into a season with Joel Embiid as our overall, as our first round draft pick. Last year, he played 66 out of 82 games. If we got that this that level of production again this year, we'd be thrilled. But we all know that there is a very real chance that he just goes down. Or Philly makes a trade here that loses James Harden, and they don't get off to quite the same start as usual, or whatever it is, that puts uh, a little bit of a hole into the 76ers season early this year. Is there a reason for Embiid to take a few games off? Is he, you know, trying to stay healthy for a playoff run if they're down in like the four or five spot instead of the number two spot or whatever it is for this club? There's all these reasons that you look at Joel Embiid and you're like, Ugh. yeah, like maybe he is Joel Embiid carries his team version and plays 67 ball games and has the number one per game fantasy numbers in the NBA, which by the way, I think Embiid probably is the number one per game guy this coming season. But that fear, that that low floor by totals is a reason that I don't really want to have to draft him. But if I have the number two pick, I kind of have to draft him because he's just going to be that good this season. If there's no Harden, Embiid is probably going to be the number one fantasy player per game. And that's a guy that you probably have to take there because the other guys and We'll get to them here in a matter of seconds. The other guys don't have anywhere near the per-game ability that Joel Embiid has uh, coming into this season. Like, it's not even close. Because last year, Shea was the number three guy, Anthony Davis was number four, KD was number five. Those guys all have the arrow pointed ever so slightly down. Shea got more help. 
AD got more help. KD went to a team where there's a bunch of high-profile gunners. Those guys are all going to get farther from the top two, basically. And the guys that are behind them that have an arrow up, such as like a Tyrese Halliburton probably has an arrow up. Uh, you probably have to go a bit farther down the board to find the next one. Those guys aren't going to close enough ground to make it so that, like, to me, I think Embiid is going to be number one per game. I think Jokic is going to be right behind him or maybe a dead heat again this season. But then I think there's probably going to be a pretty good gap between those two guys per game numbers and the next crop of players down the board. Can the totals element make up for any of that? Among those guys I just listed, those dudes are not super healthy players. Anthony Davis, Kevin Durant in particular are super scary. Shea, I think young enough and the team probably going to want to win enough to where they probably let him roll for 68 to 73 games or something this year, provided there's no sort of catastrophic injury that, that creeps in on him. But again, does that make up the difference? It's debatable, especially if indeed his numbers do settle back and if the free throw percentage comes down a little bit, all, there's too many things that can separate that top two. So my number two is Joel Embiid, as much as I really don't want to have to pick him there because it's horrifying. He deserves to be picked there. My number three is not the league's number three, but that's because, again, most of what I talk about on this podcast gears towards folks playing for all nine categories. Luka Doncic is the ADP number three. He's not my personal number three. The explanation is fairly straightforward and at times incomplete. Luka averaged 32 points, nine boards, and eight assists last year. His numbers were absurd. 50% from the field, a not very good 74% at the free throw line, and a pretty high turnover number, but not an overwhelmingly high turnover number given the other guys that are getting drafted near the top of the board. The main issue for Luka is free throws. You know, uh, Jokic had the same number of turnovers as Doncic last year, and he was number one. Luka was number 16. It's because there is that one gaping hole for Doncic, and that's high volume, not good foul shooting. So folks that are drafting Luka, yeah, you can still win free throws week to week, but if you're drafting him near the top of the board, you're probably not expecting to win free throws. You're probably not hunting that particular category. You are getting a lot of points. You are getting a lot of assists. You are getting a good chunk of rebounds and even steals right out of the shoot. So there's a lot of ways to build a team around Luka at number three. But personally, it's not the direction I'm going because there isn't that big of a durability bonus by going Luka over some of the other guys here that are being drafted near the top of the board. Folks, picture this nightmare scenario. You're hosting friends for the big game. It's neck and neck in the fourth quarter, and suddenly you realize you're out of drinks. Ooh, say all of your friends. You start to sweat. Your friends turn on you. You're forced to go on a last-second drink run and end up missing the game-winning touchdown while in line. Oh, no. Terrifying, isn't it? Luckily, you can avoid the drama with Drizzly the go-to app for drink delivery. With Drizzly, you can shop a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered right to your watch party. Compare prices across multiple stores in your area, find the best deals on game day drinks, and get 
back to armchair quarterbacking from, you guessed it, your armchair. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. Must be 21 plus, not available in all locations. So for me, I'm actually looking at more like the four and five guys, maybe even the six and seven guys, before Luca is probably my next pick. And I'm trying to think of the right way to organize this so that you guys can kind of see in your mind what I'm talking about as I'm talking about it. My number three, believe it or not, is probably Tyrese Halliburton this year. And I could make a case for Shea. I think people are over downgrading him uh, because I, I don't think this, the, the amount that he's doing is going down all that much. The fear for me with Shea is more so that the free throw number doesn't carry him quite the same way because then his free throw number, if he doesn't, if he comes off of being the best positive impact foul shooter in the NBA, yes, he drops down the board a little bit. You still have good field goal percent, good steals, good blocks, good scoring, but that one extra category that shuttled him up into the top three this last year drops him back kind of down into that next pack of guys in the middle of the first round. Still very good, but not by himself above them. So if you drop Shade down to the pack a little bit and you take someone like Halliburton and ask him to do just a tiny bit more, which, look, he did a lot last year. He was at 21 points and 10 assists. I'm going to ask him to do just the tiniest bit more. So that moves him, I believe, up in the per-game numbers. And I don't know that anybody passes Tyrese from behind necessarily, but he probably passes Dame if he gets traded to Miami. So now you've got Halliburton potentially as the number six or number seven per-game guy. Kawhi would be the one dude that might move in front of him on a per-game side. But I also think that Halliburton ends up as one of the more durable players this year. I think if there's minor injuries, he tries to play through those. I, I, I believe Indy wants him to try to get up into the 70s in games played this season. And so if you're looking at him and you're looking at Jason Tatum and you're looking at Luka Doncic and Steph and Shea as this next group of guys... You can make an argument that Shea is the dude, uh, but it's probably easier to build your team around Halliburton's numbers than it is to build your team around Shea's, if only because one of them is hyper-elite in assists and the other one is hyper-elite uh, in free throw percent. There are other changes between the two. Scoring is a big jump for Shea over Halliburton, so you're going to have to worry, I think, a little bit more about getting somebody who gives you 25 or more points in the second round if Halliburton is your first-round guy. I just, I mean, Shea is is probably the other choice there because I, I don't think he drops off quite so far, and maybe he beats him by totals at the end of this year. It's just, like, again, looking at it from a Roto standpoint, Halliburton and SGA, they're each giving you this awesome start, great percentages numbers for both of those guys to kick things off out of the guard spot. You just It's so much harder to find a big chunk of assists as you go later through. I, I hate to be that guy that's like, I need to overvalue this one category early. But if it comes down to two guys that are basically ranked at the same spot, I'm probably going to lean the assists dude over the scoring dude just because a lot of the guys that I target in the middle and late part of drafts are not that big on the scoring front. And if I end up having to kind of soft punt points later on, it's something I'm extremely comfortable with. 
And it's something that dramatically flips the draft board in a way that most teams aren't looking at the draft board that way. So that's why I think I probably lean Shea. But then you heard me talking about it. My number four there is probably, or sorry, that's why I lean Halliburton. Sorry, wind it back, everybody, wind it back. But that's why my number four is probably still Shea. Um, as much as everybody wants to push him down the board, and I totally understand why, the free throw, so much is tied up in the free throw uh, percentage for him and that insane volume. I actually don't think that his role changes all that much just because Chet Holmgren is back. I think it changes who's the guy in the middle for the Thunder. That guy is going to actually probably open things up a little bit more for the team than the options they were running at center this last season. Uh, but, you know, it's not like Shea was the last line of defense. He's not taking his minutes away. And Gilgis Alexander is still a better offensive player than the other dudes on that team. So even if there's a little erosion there, I just don't think it's that much. And he had a pretty good lead over guys like Steph and Dame and Halliburton uh, and, and definitely over Jason Tatum, these other guys that are being looked at in this department. The players that were close to to SGA on a per-game basis were Anthony Davis and Kevin Durant, who I believe both have arrows pointed down also and are way more terrifying to roster because of their uh, significant injury history between the two of them. So uh, my board is probably Halliburton at three, SGA at four, and now you're debating between Doncic and Tatum and Steph at five, I don't think I'm going Steph there. I I love Steph Curry. I've loved him for a long time. I think he's been generally undervalued as a first-round pick for quite a while now. But he's also uh, aged. Steph is aged at this point. Much as I hate to say it, he's on the back end uh, of his prime. He's 35 years old with 36 towards the end of this coming season. He's still insane. He's still unreal. But his body doesn't take the punishment it used to. It's just simple fact. Once you hit that age, you're going to start to miss more ball games. Okay? That's it. Uh, so Steph is more towards the back end of that group uh, for me. And frankly, I don't know that he necessarily belongs in a tier above Anthony Davis and Kevin Durant because they all played in the 50s. Well, Decatie was 47. But they all played a super low games played total last year. And not one of the three of them necessarily is in better position to conquer the others in games played this coming year. So uh, if my number four um, is SGA, my number five is probably between Luka and Tatum. And that's probably league dependent. In Roto, I'm probably going Tatum uh, because I don't want someone that's going to tank a category for me and to have to worry about kind of making up for one thing. And Luca's not going to win you categories himself on the Roto side. He's extremely fun to roster, no matter what type of league you're in. But head-to-head, -head, you probably go Luca because you want those super elite numbers in three or four categories to start things out. Roto, you probably go Tatum. Uh, the only place where Tatum really loses out here is field goal percent on the Roto side because you can make up the assist gap there. It's only like three per game between those two dudes. Um, you know, it's not like Luca is going 10 and a half assists a ball game. That'd be, I think, a little bit different. He'd obviously rank, be ranked a whole hell of a lot higher. Um, but you get the extra block or half part, you know, portion of a block with Tatum. You get the nice strong field or free throw percent out of the gate. 
So you can make up for that with a big man later on, where with Doncic, when you get your big man, you kind of have to find one that's not bad at free throw shooting if you don't want to completely obliterate that category. Uh, so I'm probably going Tatum at five. Um, and then again with Roto, like you could continue to push Luka down the board. Um, but I think I'd probably go Luka over that next group of guys on the Roto side, just because I feel a bit more confident Luka gives you 66-plus ball games this year. Uh, as opposed to someone like Anthony Davis or KD, where you probably feel okay saying they're going to give you 56 games or more, but that's not exactly a, a strong starting point. So Luka's probably my number six, sort of the last in that initial chunk of players. Steph is the other guy that maybe you look at there instead on the Roto side, because uh, again, you're getting the scoring, you're getting the threes that are super elite, you're getting a free throw percent that's also extremely elite with Steph. Uh, that you can you can definitely build around that, and you're not that far behind. Again, Luca only had 1.7 more assists per game than Steph, and only about two and a half more rebounds than Steph. So you don't lose all that much going that direction. I'd be fine. You go Steph at six and Luca seven, or flip flop it on the Roto side. Head to head, obviously Luca has the edge there, and you just sort of lean away from free throw percent. Back half of the first round is just as difficult as the front half of the first round. On the ADP side, as the YouTubers can see on your screen, which, by the way, if you're watching live, please remember to hit the thumbs up button. It actually does make a really big deal in how the videos get uh, populated on YouTube pages. And subscribe if you like what you're uh, watching over these last few weeks and and what we're going to bring to you guys as we roll up to the start of the NBA season and beyond. And if you're listening on traditional channels, please do take a moment to five-star the show, which is always a complicated series of steps to try to get to that page on your Apple device for iTunes or whatever it is, but that is also extremely helpful, so please take a second on that front. Uh, so on the ADP side, um, I guess we're technically at pick eight now. We've gone through the top seven. On the ADP side, it goes Giannis, Dame, Kevin Durant, Anthony Davis, LaMelo Ball. I'll say it again. Pick eight has is now Giannis. Dame is nine. KD is 10. Anthony Davis is 11. LaMelo Ball is 12. My board is pretty different than those. Giannis is very much the head-to-head versus Roto player. Roto, you're probably just not drafting him unless you really want to lean into the free throw punt. I wouldn't advise it. Uh, because you really shrink the board for yourself on the Roto side. Head-to-head, you can go Giannis at 8. I've got no problem with that. So we kind of just have to take him out of the equation. Because like with Luka, you can get a good foul shooter in the second or third round, and you can kind of make up for that and just be average in free throw shooting. Giannis, you'd have to focus your next like four consecutive picks on positive free throw edge to make up what he does. On the Roto side, you'll lose free throws for the year with Giannis and head to head you'll win like two out of 18 weeks or whatever your regular season might be so he's a tough one to talk about because he is very settings dependent but if we skip over him and go to Dame and KD and Anthony Davis and LaMelo Ball basically the last four picks of the first round that Yahoo's ADP is indicating right now uh, my order is indeed different than the order on the board Uh, I think Damian Lillard takes a pretty good size step back this year Um, He was number seven per game last season. He had a stretch where he was the number one player per game for like the last month and a half before the the Blazers shut him down. But he just simply won't be asked to do as much if indeed he's traded to Miami. And 
it feels like it's a matter of time before the Heat figure out how to swing some other deals to add assets that they can send to Portland in a trade. But, like, Dame's camp has been very clear. He wants out. He wants to go to the Heat uh, because he wants to be on a more competitive team, meaning he's going to want to go to a place where he's not the only guy that can go carry the team. Um, he'll still have plenty to do in Miami, but it will be less. And for Lillard, almost all of his value is tied up in his usage. Scoring, threes, assists, free throw percent are, I think, technically his four best positive attributes. Yeah, they're his four most impactful categories, and those are all tied into just having the ball in your hand, which on Miami would be less. You can split hairs on how much less, but it's less. Yeah, field goal percent hurts less with fewer shots at 46% shooting, but significantly smaller negative impact removal there than positive impact removals on the other four big-time positive categories for him. So expect Dame to take a step back. Uh, He'll get rest days, too, if he ends up on a team that's super competitive. That's another reason for fear there. You're just... You know, I get it, because prior to the abdominal stuff and the tanking, Dame was one of the most durable players in the NBA. He just, he played and 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 and never took a day off. But he's also 33. He's not Steph age, but he's also not a spring chicken. Just turned 33, so at least he's not, you know, about to turn 34 or something. But he's a smaller dude who gets knocked around, gets to the free throw line, Miami's not going to push him that hard if this is where he ends up during the regular season. So expect high 60s in games for Lillard. So now you're sort of debating, all right, do I want Lillard who's going to give me 65 to 68 games? Do I want LaMelo Ball who has a severe disadvantage on a per game note against someone like Lillard? Because like their stat sets are not that disparate. Ball, uh a couple more assists per game. Otherwise, you know, it's it's pretty similar across the board. Uh, Dame just the higher both percentages. So there's kind of no reason to pass up one of those guys for the other. Um, LaMelo will probably beat him in steals this year, I would have to assume also. But Dame with the edge in almost every other category. So, I, like, I can't in good conscience convince myself to do ball over Lillard. I'm not really looking at many guys that are going at the beginning of the second round. Kyrie would be the other one where you're like, yeah, like I could see this guy because he was right behind Dame in per game value this last year. So if you think Kyrie holds steady and Dame takes a step down, do they actually kind of flip flop on the per game side? Yeah, possibly. Uh, Kyrie better at blocking shots, better defensive stats, better field goal percent than Dame doesn't get to the free throw line as often. Um, and Dame's assists will probably come down, so those numbers will be a little bit tighter this coming season. But I think you can feel pretty confident that Dame beats Kyrie in games played by probably five or six. So if you're going one over the other, you need, a, a I think, a fairly significant totals or per-game edge. And for Kyrie over Dame, I don't think there's that big of a, a per-game gap this coming season. So it probably comes down to whether or not you'd go Kevin Durant or Anthony Davis over Damian Lillard in that number nine, eight, whatever slot, depending again on on what your league settings are. And the answer is, it's a coin flip. 
But you guys want to know what I would do personally as it gets to this point. That's kind of what I've promised on this show. What the hell is Dan going to do at this spot? Uh, the question for me, this is how I'm sorting this out in my mind, and then we'll sort of finish this up. Is the per-game gap bigger or smaller than the games played gap? Do we trust that Anthony Davis and Kevin Durant can get near 60 games played this year? Because AD had a pretty good size edge over, let's say Dame takes a small step back. Anthony Davis had a pretty good size edge over someone like a Jason Tatum this year on the per-game side. There was a big gap there. But from a total standpoint, Tatum smoked him because Tatum played in 74 ball games and Anthony Davis played in 56. But what if those same players that we just talked about had a games-played gap that instead of being 18 games was more like, say, nine or even less. Let's say Anthony Davis gets to 61 games this year. Or a lot of guys are going to be trying to get to 65 games to get on the various, you know, first uh, the NBA season awards list. So let's say AD is trying to get to 65 games. Maybe he doesn't get there. Maybe he gets to 62, and Dame is trying to get to 67 or 69 or 70 or whatever, and he plays 68. Is a six-game gap... That's probably on the smaller side. Is a six to nine game gap between Anthony Davis and someone like maybe JJJ this last year? Is that enough to flip that value? And the answer is yes. AD actually beat JJJ by totals, just by a hair, with a seven game gap played between the two guys. So at the end of the day, the totals value for Dame, Kevin Durant, Anthony Davis has a really interesting shot of being very close, that Dame probably beats them by six or seven games played, and AD and KD probably beat Dame by a pretty decent chunk on the per-game side. For head-to-head, you probably prefer to have the guy playing the extra six or seven ball games. By Roto, maybe you prefer to have the guy that has the better per-game edge. For me, I'm probably going Kevin Durant at that spot. I think he has a better health season. Uh, Anthony Davis scares me even more than KD for whatever reason. I, and maybe it should be flip-flopped, but that's just the way my heart feels. But I have no problem if you guys want to rotate this thing around. Uh, Dame, his stat set is pretty easy to build around. You kind of know exactly what you're getting. KD's more of the sort of across-the-board guy where you don't have, like, the great one or two categories. Very good for Roto. Anthony Davis has the few that are hyper-elite, also kind of easy to build around but centers are a little bit more prevalent this year, as we've talked about a bit on social media, with six going in the third round and another chunk in the fourth and a few in the fifth, sixth, and seventh as well. So uh, I would lean towards the forward, the wing, or the guard at that spot, and then you can kind of line them up after that. So it's either Dame or KD, Anthony Davis behind them, and then LaMelo Ball or probably Kyrie Irving, actually, for me to finish off the Dan Vespers Yahoo first round. One question in the uh, YouTube room, so we'll get to that one here before we wrap things up. Yellow Mamba says, I have the fourth pick in 9-cat head-to-head. I have the choice between Embiid and Halliburton. Who should I pick and who are some pairing targets in round two? Unfortunately, as terrifying as it's going to feel, you're probably going Joel Embiid because his per-game production is going to be absurd. Uh, possibly the number one per-game guy this coming season. As I've said, I just I really think he's going to have a monster per-game year. Pairings, you just want to look at guards. There are too many centers available in the third round. So whatever guards are falling to you towards the end of that second round, 
that's where you're looking. Try to make up some of the assists. I know James Harden is going to be frightening. If your draft is this early, it's hard to know if you can go in that direction. But that's probably uh, maybe a way that you're leaning. <sighs> I know. I know. It's really hard. Um, hopefully your draft is much tighter to the beginning of the season and we'll have a better idea of where Harden's going to be. If they're on the same team, that probably makes it tougher as well. You could look at someone like a Freddie Van Vliet or a Trey Young if they're available at the end of the second round. Trey, again, better head-to-head -head than Roto, but he does cover up a lot of the spots that Joel Embiid doesn't. And I don't think that I would venture much farther down the board uh, than those guys. One more question slipped in here before we finish. Should we be knocking down JJJ a bit since we have said that there are a lot more centers available? Yes, because he does have that sort of, again, the one super elite category to me, he's more of a mid-second rounder. If he falls that far, I'm comfortable taking him because his value is going to be pretty damn good this year, uh, especially with Ja missing the first third of the season. Um, but he he doesn't do as many things. Like, we talked about Joel Embiid. You're getting the points. You're getting uh, the free throw percent out of Embiid. That's also elite. You're getting a decent block number. You're getting a good rebounding number. These are things that JJJ, all he's really doing for you is blocks. It's just not... It doesn't carry you as a first-rounder, even though his Z-scores rank him out as a first-rounder. He's kind of a statistical offshoot here that you you just don't really want to build your team around. I have 16, 18, and 20 teamers. We got another question that slipped in, and then I got to wrap it up. What pairing can you recommend if my pick ended up in the late teens? All right, so let's say you're picking at like 14. Uh, it'll be different, obviously, in the three leagues on who's coming back to you. Um, I would worry more about getting guys that are playing ball games because these deeper leagues, you can get eliminated pretty fast if you have a first or second rounder that just misses, you know, 25 or 30 ball games. So if you're at 14, uh, I like Kyrie in that spot. I think he'll give you some pretty good chunky numbers. Um, maybe Donovan Mitchell coming back in a 16-teamer if he's still available to you. And the 18, maybe you try to go Demonis Sabonis as someone is standing upright. And the 20-teamer, yeesh, you're, you're sort of getting all the way down to uh, maybe like a cat and hope that he survives the season. That's a tough one. That's a tough one in a 20-teamer, guys, because there aren't that many hyper-healthy guys going in the 25 to 30 range. Sorry. All right, everybody, that's your show. Thanks again for watching or listening in. Please do take a moment, hit that thumbs up, and subscribe on YouTube or drop a five-star review and check out the Fantasy Pass over at sportsethos.com on sale for just a couple more hours today. And then it is no more. I am Dan Bespris at Dan Bespris over on the Twitters, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. -E we will talk to you over there. Have a great Tuesday, everybody. So long for now. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.